Hello, and welcome to the Poetic Devices Podcast. I am your host, Kay Crow, the bird bard and the traveling typist. Each episode will discuss the stories, philosophies, and realities of my life as an on-demand typewriter poet. Whether in a five-star hotel or hitting the streets, my typewriter and I travel to bring poetry to the people. So tune in for Poetry in Motion. Today's topic is what it is like to live as a typewriter poet and an entrepreneur with ADHD. This episode was unscripted, unplanned, and is almost entirely unedited because, as a larger artistic statement about what it is like to live with this disorder, I wasn't going to do it unless I sat down and did it right now. So, I here leave you with the stories frustrations, and realities of being a typewriter poet with ADHD. I hope you enjoy. And isn't that just true to the spirit of ADHD? If you do not ride the motivation in the moment that you have to do the thing, it might not ever get done at all. So this small moment is considered a window into the life of a typewriter poet with ADHD and into my mind. So let's begin. Let's start off with a story, with a few stories actually. From the back end of things that no one gets to see, everyone assumes it must be going swimmingly, that I must be thriving because they see, oh, I'm regularly posting on Instagram. Oh, it looks like I'm having so much success. They look at my upcoming gigs page and they see, oh, wow, there's so much on there. I must be thriving. I must have systems in place. I must be on a roll. And the thing is, Sometimes I am, most of the time I'm not. I have some systems to which I cling for dear life, but the back end, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. For this month, I'm gonna give you an insight into a lot of things that bring me shame. I'm gonna tell you some stories that make me look bad, and we're just gonna roll with it. Story number one. Earlier this month, I realized that at my job as the editorial assistant to a publishing institute, I forgot to enter my hours onto my time card for the last half of October, because I was in Japan. So I was missing out on hundreds of dollars that the university was supposed to pay me. And I also realized that I misplaced a client check. Did it disappear? Did the bank fail to deposit it? I don't know. But a client paid me for a fundraiser that I did. I had such a great time. The event was amazing. And then afterwards, I realized, oh crap, I misplaced their payment. Do you know how embarrassing it is to have such an amazing experience writing typewriter poetry for people all night to raise so much money and then forget to turn off the notifications from your software that says that their invoice hasn't been paid. Whoops, they got sent about two extra emails that they didn't need to get. So I am already 
feeling embarrassed because they had to send me an email request saying, can you turn these email notifications off? So I'm already feeling embarrassed. And now I have to crawl back saying, I am so sorry. Can you please cancel that check and issue me a new one? Something happened to it. I don't know where it is. If it's a one-time thing, people can forgive it. If it's there's a certain circumstance in your life where things are going nuts and you just need a pass, people understand that. But the problem with ADHD is that it's not a one-time thing. It is a chronic, lifelong condition. I have been misplacing checks my entire adult life. But if I tell someone, oh, I'm going through a breakup, or my par- one of my parents has cancer, or I'm going through this. They are understanding of temporary lapses in cognitive ability. What's much harder for people to understand is a permanent deficit in cognitive ability because it looks like I'm thriving. It looks like I have my shit together, but I don't. I have a permanent deficiency in the chemicals that allow my brain to have its shit together. So now we have another story. I was at a wedding gig, fall. It was uh, October or September. And we did this lovely wedding gig, me and my former business partner. It was amazing. We wrote this guest book on the typewriters for the the guests. They would tell us something about the bride and groom, and then we would put it into this guest book. And we were creating this one-of-a-kind, unique, never-before-seen memento that would be the way that this bride and groom would remember their special night. But the problem was, at the end of the night, they loved it so much, they gave each, me and my partner, my former business partner, a $100 tip. Crisp $100 bill. We were delighted. I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to tuck this away so that it doesn't get lost, and then we're going to clean up. So I tucked it away. We cleaned up our setup, put away our typewriters. I was working on a very sexy little um, Brother Charger 11, and my colleague, I believe, was working on either an Olivetti or a Royal. And we pack up, and we're getting ready to go, and I realize I don't have my $100 bill. I don't know where I put it. I search high and low, all across the office. I open all of my bags, I check in all of my pockets, I look inside of the vents, it's gone. And my business partner looks at me and goes, how could you lose $100? And I just wanted to scream that this is how I have been living my entire adult life. The mother of the groom came in and I told her I had misplaced the money. And she said they were going to do a deep clean tomorrow. And if they found it, they would let me know. Surprise. They didn't let me know. But my business partner just looked at me and I could see the anger, the shame, the fact that I made us look bad because I misplaced this hundred dollar bill. Well, yes, I did make us look bad. But if they were frustrated occupying that space with me for 45 minutes in which I lost that money and had to come to terms with it and other people found out about it. If they were frustrated from that 45 minute window, imagine the frustration of living in a brain like that for 32 years. I don't know. 
Optics are very important to a lot of people. And ADHD looks bad. ADHD looks terrible. It looks like you don't care. It looks like you are negligent. It looks like you don't think people are worthy of paying attention to detail for. But the thing is, is I am trying so hard all of the time and failing. I know I'm going to fail at least five to 10% of the time to hold in my brain what I need to hold. And I have a lot of systems, don't get me wrong. I am the master of the spreadsheet and the to-do list and the Google calendar, but it's still not enough. The normal person maybe will have a few times a day where this happens. For me, it's a constant fight. Which brings me to one of the other corners of this topic, which is why I love the typewriter so much. Being neurodivergent, the typewriter is a sanctuary of immediacy. There is nothing to take me away from the current moment. I love my job as a typewriter poet because the gratification is nearly instantaneous. Someone walks up to me. They tell me what they want their poem to be about. I write it in three minutes or less, usually two minutes. And then I read it to them. And then they have an emotional reaction and a memory. And it's fast. It is beautiful. And it requires so little overarching architecture that I can just bring my setup as long as I remember to bring everything, which is its own problem. As long as I remember to bring my setup, I can go out onto the street and bing, bang, boom, short, immediate task after short, immediate task after short, immediate task. It is great. It keeps my attention moving because I can't focus on anything for longer than 15, 30 minutes at a time. And it only takes me, you know, five minutes to move a client or a potential patron from questioning to having given me their money to walking away with a poem. So the fact that it's so fast, it holds my attention so quickly, is almost the ideal job for my dysfunctional attention span. It's all of the back end stuff that makes it hard. But on the street, out in the world, I, f I feel like I kill it. I feel like I'm doing great. And that's also one of the reasons that I love bringing typewriter, my typewriter collection out to events. And I love letting people play on the typewriter because it is a sanctuary for dysregulated attention. It only allows you to focus on one thing at a time. You can go back and listen to my episode on typewriter zen if you're interested in more on that topic. I talk about that extensively in that episode. But there's, in brief, there are not many things you can do when you mul to multitask when you're on a typewriter. There's a piece of paper, there's the keys, and there's you. And there's whatever you're creating in a given moment. And just being able to have a writing practice that isn't interrupted with notifications or buzzing or the temptation to open another tab is in quite a lot of ways liberating. The typewriter is a beautiful thing and my, the typewriter itself is a sanctuary and my job on the street as a typewriter poet is a sanctuary. It feels like a safe place to exist. But once I get off the typewriter, that's where I have 
the problem. Showing up to a gig and having everything you need for that gig would be something you would think would be easy. You prepare the night before, you get ready to roll out, and you go. The thing is, it's not that easy. Because for all of the prep I do, I can still forget the most basic things. For example, earlier this year in May, I did a typewriter retreat for the mayors of Chicago's cabinet. And I thought I had everything I needed for that gig. It was packed into my car. Um, mostly I was concerned with getting all 18 of my typewriters to Harold Washington Library downtown and then unloading them. I realized after I meticulously packed up all my typewriters, packed my bag with snacks for the day to make sure that I'm not um, hungry. I packed water to make sure I didn't get dehydrated. I even packed a book to make sure that I had something to read while I was waiting in between sessions so that I wasn't staring at my phone looking bad. But for this retreat, I was supposed to provide typing experiences to people. So they would come in and play around on the typewriters and, you know, just create and have a, a little retreat in the middle of their workday. The thing that I forgot to bring, paper. I forgot to bring paper to put in the typewriters. Do you know how stupid I felt? Do you know how silly I, I looked? I went up and I asked, excuse me, do you have a pack of uh, eight and a half by 11 printer paper? I asked authoritatively and I asked with level voice and they went and delivered it to me. I was like, okay, cool. No one questioned too hard. No one looked at me too hard, but it is embarrassing not to be able to bring the fundamentals of your job to your job to forget your basic supplies. I've been doing this for years and I can still make such a simple mistake. It's embarrassing. And the kicker, the absolute kicker is that after that gig, I loaded up all of my belongings to go get my car. And I managed to, you know, get all my personals, pack on my book, pack on my snacks, pack on my water. And I have to walk like six blocks to go get my car. And then I get in my car and drive away. You know what I realized I forgot? All 18 of my typewriters. I forgot them all at the library. That is my livelihood. That is the foundation of my ability to make money. And I forgot them all at the, at the Harold Washington Library. I got a call from a frantic organizer being like, hey, um, I think you left something here. I'm like, oh crap, I'm already like gone. So what they said they would do is luckily the, the security guards there are lovely. They had this locked cage in the security office where they took, where they wheeled my wagon, which was loaded up with all my typewriters into this cage, locked it up and said I could come get it the following day. So I did, but I looked dumb. And another example that while well, we're telling horror stories is last year, when my typewriter collective was in the process of breaking up into various solo acts, I was under a lot of stress. My father was being screened for a potential cancer recurrence. I had been newly diagnosed with ADHD, uh, and I was trying methylphenidate uh, as a stimulant for that. Hint, I don't take that anymore. It makes me way too anxious. Um, but I didn't know that at the time, so I was 
so anxious. My financial situation was precarious because I wasn't going to be able to run my business as a partnership anymore. So I was having to figuring out how to pivot to a solo act. And I was just a mess. And so we had a few final gigs that we had agreed to finish out on the year and to just take no more gigs as of January, 2023. So in November of 2022, we have a fundraiser in Milwaukee. And so we go, I get all the way over to my friend's house and I pick them up and then together we carpool to Milwaukee. And as we are driving, I realize, oh crap, I forgot my typewriter. I forgot my typewriter in my garage. It was sitting next to my car. I just didn't lift it up from the side of the, from the shelf to my back seat. Luckily, uh, we had some extras. And so I just used one of the extras that we had brought, but I forgot my typewriter. I am a typewriter poet. I was in a really bad mental place in November, October, November, December of last year. And after that gig, my fellow poet, who I was co-running the poetry stand with at that event, looked at me and went, did you, I feel like you forgot it on purpose. Like there was some symbolism to me forgetting, as if I had done it to make some sort of statement about them. I just want to scream now in hindsight, no, I didn't forget it on purpose. I was just so overloaded in the moment that I forgot to do the most important thing, the most important step before I left my house, put my typewriter in the car. And my life is full of stories like these. My entrepreneurship is full of stories like these. I was talking to my partner the other day about the fact that I could not locate my client's check and I was feeling ashamed and embarrassed and stupid. And they looked at me and delivered some beautiful wisdom. Them also be, they also are incredibly neurodivergent and just a freaking sweetheart. But they told me that I deserve a break and that I deserve compassion and that I shouldn't have to miss out on an amount of money that was half my rent just because my pride would stop me from asking. Like, no, I did deserve that money and I should ask for it. And people should be compassionate and give me a break. And so I asked for it. I decided, all right, you know what? I'm just going to have to make peace with the fact that for the rest of my life, I am now knowingly living with a chronic disorder in my brain and chronic neurochemical deficiency that is gonna make me look bad. And I am just going to have to make peace with the fact that I'm going to have to ask for help, that I'm going to have to admit my mistakes more often and stay humble enough to keep moving forward. This knowledge about how my brain works didn't come to me until, God, midway through last year. I spent the rest of my life up until the age of 31 not knowing that I had ADHD. And everyone around me assumed I had been diagnosed as a child. They all thought I knew, which is why no one told me, which is its own can of worms. But 
I'm just going to have to make peace with the fact that this mental quirk of mine is going to keep giving me opportunities to humble myself for the rest of my life. And if people are going to want to interact with me, hire me, and have professional relationships with me, they are going to, I am going to have to ask for accommodations and patience and forgiveness because this is not a one-off thing. I'm not going to lie and say my grandmother died. I'm not going to lie and say that I had to take my dog to the vet for an emergency and that's why I'm stressed and I messed up. I'm just going to have to be honest and say that this is how I live. This is who I am. Believe me when I say I am trying my best and sometimes my best isn't good enough to prevent mistakes from happening. And that's all I've got for you this time. This has been me ranting into the microphone unscripted for the last 21 minutes, but I hope you've gotten something out of it. And in the meanwhile, stay poetic out there, stay funky fresh, and uh, just do your best. All of you neurologically spicy people out there, take responsibility for your brain as best you can, and then let Jesus take the real on the rest. <laughs> for tuning in today. This has been the Poetic Devices podcast. If you are interested in supporting this project or me as an artist, you can find me online at K-R-O-E-T-R-Y, that's Croetry, as my handle on all social media platforms and all payment platforms if you're interested in spreading some love. You'll find my next episode out sometime early next year, and feel free to send suggestions about topics you would like to learn more about in the future. Feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I promise I will read it. <laughs>